Hello, everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th, when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections, and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello there, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan, a slight departure from our usual format of the wrap of the week this week because Pat Leahy had an audience with the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, this week. You can read all about it in the weekend edition of the Irish Times. And we're going to discuss it uh, right now. Pat, what went on? Yes, we did an interview with the Taoiseach in his uh, in his office uh, in government buildings. Not surprisingly, the first thing that we asked him uh, about was this controversy that has been raging all week and continues, it seems, to escalate uh, this weekend, um, sparked by an op-ed in the Irish Independent on Monday by three junior ministers, uh, three Fine Gael junior ministers, in which they called for a tax break of €1,000 for people on middle incomes. This is, to say the least of it, a highly unusual departure in budget making. Anyway, so we talked to the Taoiseach about this. Why did you send out junior ministers to provoke a budget wrap? Well, I didn't. But you knew they were going out? I did, yeah. Yeah, no, I I knew they were. You knew what they were going to say? Yeah, I knew that they had written the article and and, and the contents of it. which is very much in line with Fine Gael policy and also consistent with the programme for government, which uh, commits to um, a substantial income tax package in every budget if we can afford it, and we can. Um, and if you think about it, um, what's the basis of Fine Gael's participation in this government? It's to make sure that Middle Ireland gets gets look, looked out for and gets looked after. So, you know, the Greens had very clear demands as to what they wanted coming into government, the 51% target on emissions and the carbon tax. Fianna Fáil very clear on, on pension reform that they didn't want to increase the pension age, uh, notwithstanding the fact that IFAC and others said that, that that was the fiscally prudent thing to do. We were very clear that our our basis for participation in this government is that um, Middle Ireland gets looked at, looked after, and that's looking after working people, it's looking after business, it's promoting things like home ownership. So we've been very clear in this government that we want income taxes reduced. We think middle income people pay too much income tax, uh, and it's a disincentive. Uh, for lots of people, um, and also that when it comes to things like um, reducing the cost of childcare or reducing the cost of education, that while we accept that it should be targeted at those who need it the most, we also think that there should be a universal element so that all families benefit, including people on um, average and above average incomes. So Pat, the message there is clear. The Greens have their greeny stuff. Uh, Fianna Fáil have their fiscally imprudent attitude to pensions. And Fine Gael are looking after Middle Ireland. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was interesting, that little dig at Fianna Fáil there, you know, saying about uh, Fianna Fáil insisted that the pension age wouldn't rise despite the fact it was, you know, this was what was recommended by the Fiscal Advisory Council. But, you know, he's... The sense he's conveying there is, you know, fair enough, we'll put up with a bit of fiscal imprudence from Fianna Fáil if that's the price of making this government work. But, you know, we have our price too, and that's looking after, you know, the sturdy trenchermen of Middle Ireland. But we might talk about a little of that a little bit later, but first of all, what do Fianna Fáil feel about this kind of behaviour? Fianna Fáil are really unhappy uh, 
with this and they've been publicly so during the week, which is un, uh, unusual, but clearly there's been private contacts as well. The Taoiseach goes on to say that he has spoken to Micheál Martin um, about it and, you know, Fianna Fáil are hopping mad. This is mushroomed into a proper row, which is not so much about, I think, the substance of the issue, but about political signalling and political positioning. And you know, we, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later, but you can hear some of that in the clip to come, I think. Have you spoken to the Taoiseach or to the Tanishta or the Minister for uh, Finance in recent days about their intervention? Uh, I have with the Taoiseach, or the Tanishta, rather, yes. Yeah. And can you tell us something about that conversation? Look, Did he I, express I, annoyance? Yeah, or I, I, It's the conversations that we have with, with each other are, are private and I'm not going to relate to I understand to that, but he was, uh, I suspect our readers would be justified in surmising that he wasn't ringing you to tell you what a great article it was. Well, look, I'd put it this way. You know, the three ministers, brilliant ministers of state, very capable people, uh, among the people who represent the future of our party, um, are setting out uh, Fine Gael thinking in relation to the budget. Um, we had, just during the week, uh, Minister McGrath was on prime time uh, setting out his three pillars, his proposals as to what we would do with the surplus. Um I don't have a problem with that. You, you know, ministers are free to express their views and um, I've always taken a pretty relaxed approach with ministers setting out their proposals. What did you think of Michael Creed's comment at the parliamentary party last night about Fine Gael not taking lectures on budgetary matters from the guys who crashed the economy? Look, what happens at parliamentary party meetings are, are also private, so... Well, uh, not, not, not very, I mean... Not, not always, and they're not always fully accurately related. Um, you know, we're working together in a government, um, and it's a government that I believe is working very well, uh, and um, uh, difficult decisions have had to be made by, by any party that served in government. What I would say, though, is this. Um, you know, Fine Gael has been uh, in office for the past... 12 years, we're often criticised for the fact that that's the case because so many problems remain unresolved. Um, but look at where we are economically, 2.6 billion people at work, 600,000 more than when Enda Kenny became Taoiseach and I was appointed to government for the first time. Um, incomes higher than ever, um, unemployment lowest in generations, um, a budget surplus that gives us the ability to make these these good decisions and choices in the forthcoming budget. Why is that? It's because Fine Gael made the right decisions in government for 12 years. Um, it's because we were sitting there at the cabinet table, whether it was with Labour at the start, with independence after that, and now at Fianna Fáil and the Greens, the consistent thread there uh, is a party that understands the economy, understands business, promotes enterprise, gets it right on tax and European policy and manages the public finance as well. And that's that's a record that I'm very proud of, quite frankly. I suppose the question arises, Pat, of how coordinated all this is and whether it's under the instructions of Leo Varadkar as party leader. To look in from the outside, what it might look like, the exchanges of the last week between Fianna Fáil and, and Fine Gael are about Fine Gael trying to establish in the public's mind through the medium of this dispute, that it is the party that is responsible for any tax cuts that people see in October. Yeah, well, look, you're, you're making out of some sort of clever PR or um, political strategy behind this. There isn't. This is three ministers of state who chose to write an article, and they did, and they made me aware of it before it was published. That's what happened. 
Um, there isn't any kind of you, strategy. You have nothing to do with this, in the genesis of this, no? No. Or any of your advisors? It was purely off their own bat. Well, that's that, that yes. Yeah, so like, as to, to my knowledge, it is, yeah. Uh, but like, process is process. The basic point you're, you're making is is a part of Fine Gael's identity to be the party that stands up for Middle Ireland, that uh, promotes business, that um, wants to make sure there's more money in your pocket. That is a big part of who, who we are um, as a party. And, you know, just look at uh, what's been done for business, business in the last couple of years. Um, businesses that would not have survived the pandemic did, and, and they prospered. Counter that to how the last recession was handled and good businesses were allowed to fail. And look how long it took to bounce back from that. Of course, he says that, you know, that he didn't orchestrate uh, this. He says that his staff weren't involved. He said that after a lengthy pause, to his knowledge. But um, I, I think there's kind of no doubt that there's been a decision made, presumably by Leo Varadkar and the people he listens to in the party leadership, to carve out a, a political position. I think that's what this is all about. I mean, let's face it, this, this didn't all happen by accident. That's not the way it works. Now, the sharp end of all these conversations is always, I think, about tax and about personal taxes in particular, Pat, and you asked the Taoiseach about that. Total tax package last year was about $1.3 Now, that would be more or less eaten up entirely by the proposal that the junior ministers made earlier this week. Does the, tax, the overall tax package in the budget need to be, without putting a specific number on it, but feel free to do so if you wish. Uh, does does that package need to be bigger to accommodate what you would like to do? Uh, yeah, I believe it does. You know, I think we need to have a, a tax package in the forthcoming budget that is as good, if not as good or bigger than in the last budget. Well, it would need to be bigger to accommodate this. And um, well, no, like, have a bigger budget. Yeah, no, no, but just just to be clear, uh, the, the, the three ministers of state have have made a, a specific proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very clear that I'm not tying myself. To any specific proposal, um, I am tying myself to the program for government commitment, uh, which is that we index tax bans and credits um, if we can afford to do so. Uh, I expect that commitment to be honoured. And if you uh, look at incomes where they were last year or from the time this government was formed, um, you've seen incomes rise substantially. And, and I would like to see that program for government commitment honoured. Uh, but I'm I'm not going to prescribe exactly how it's done. Uh, and that is that is that is very much a matter for negotiation and should be. So one thing that strikes me about that is 1.3 billion last year, Pat. And without getting, as we say, too much into the weeds on this, the reality is that we've got higher inflation or have had it over the last year than we've had for 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 decades, probably. So if there is a commitment to pay for an adjustment of tax bans to reflect that inflation, which, as he said, there is, well, that's going to significantly increase the numbers that are involved in this. But on the other hand, you have to take the inflation into account and people's wages have gone up, expenditure's gone up, everything's gone up. Yeah, I mean, tax bans tend to be, when they're indexed, it tends to be to increase in wages, which may lag a little bit behind uh, inflation. But the principle that you suggest uh, is, 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 is certainly true. Um, the other thing, you know, is that tax actually, despite... Fine Gael's focus on it. It, it. It's not a huge part of the budget. I mean, if you take last year, so the number was 1.3, was a total tax package in the budget last year. But the budget, the entire budget 
additional expenditure including tax was was 11 billion seven of it was recurring four of 4 billion of it was in 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 one offs so you know there's this I always point out, you know, at budget time that, you know, the idea that Fine Gael is a, you know, mad right wing party that's only interested in tax cuts is not really borne out by the fact that they're the budget packages that they've repeatedly delivered have had multiples of uh, the tax package in an increase in spending. So, you know, like eight or nine times as much additional spending as tax cuts. But does that uh, not then mean that Fine Gael want to tell us that they're a mad tax cutting part- party that are only interested in those? Because that seems to be what the Taoiseach is, sending, is telling us here. I think what the Taoiseach is trying to, is, 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 is trying to do is he's trying to brand any tax cuts. And there will be tax cuts there's clearly a negotiation within government to be had about the quantum of those. My my guess is that it's likely to be bigger than last year. Tishik appears to be signalling here that he wants a uh, a tax package that is bigger than the 1.5 billion uh, last year. And if and when that happens, I think the Taoiseach wants the Fine Gael brand on that. Well, the biggest subject in the government's agenda actually isn't tax, it seems to me. It's housing, isn't it? That's the crisis on the doorstep of every politician at the moment. And you did discuss that with Leo Varadkar. You spoke uh, in advance and around the time of becoming Taoiseach again, um, that, you know, that there needed to be a kind of a step up to an almost COVID-style response to this um, uh, emergency that hasn't really happened, though, has it? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm never entirely sure what people mean exactly when they talk about a COVID-style response to things. Um, like, I, I was here uh, for the pandemic and was a member of the government all the way through it. And to me, anyway, maybe this is my understanding of, of what people mean. A COVID-style response means that you more or less drop everything else and you focus on one thing. And I don't think that would work in relation to housing. You can have that response in relation to something that's going to last for a few months or maybe a year um, but you know the idea that we would you know stop school building in order to increase home building I don't think that would be that would be a practical thing to do but you know that would have been a COVID style response to say that we're only going to build houses now and nothing else um, so you know I'm not sure what people mean, mean, mean when they say that um, but what I did say and what I did mean is that we should step up uh, and accelerate the implementation of housing for all and we have taken actions to do that. So, you know, just in the last couple of months, a lot of this came out of the housing summit that I hosted here in January and meetings I would have had with, with Dara Bryan, the different stakeholders. Um, you know, we decided to dramatically increase the vacant home grant, seeing huge interest in that. People who are willing now to bring old buildings back into use as homes to buy or rent or to live in or to rent. And that's going to make a big difference, I think. Um, also, the decision that we made to uh, suspend the development levies. Builders are already telling me on the ground that that is tipping them in favour of starting developments that they wouldn't otherwise have started. Um, and then also the decision to uh, really repower the LDA. So he, he's painting a surprisingly rosy picture of what's going on in building at the moment, uh, contrary to what many of us are hearing, including you, because you've been talking to builders too, Pat. Yeah, I, I've spoken to a few builders and, uh, and developers lately. They a slightly different uh, take on things than um, uh, than Leo Radker does. And what several of them outlined to me was the extent to which it was the states, uh, the, the 
delays in building were on the state's end, particularly the site of Board Planola and uh, and the difficulties of getting decisions from housing bodies, local authorities, uh, the Department of Housing uh, and, uh, and and so forth. But then again, you know, who am I to say I may meet a different type of builder than uh, the Taoiseach meets. But actually, the bit in the housing section that I really found uh, interesting was when he talked about his priority being uh, the construction of houses to buy rather than social housing. Um, and we should be clear, he says absolutely we need more social housing, but he talks about his priority. The most important thing for him uh, is home ownership, is making sure that people are able to buy their own home because that's the best form of housing security in my view. Um, we are seeing a real uptick in that uh, in the past couple of months. You know, 400, 500 people now every week uh, buying their first home. I don't, I don't want to be, be mis- misrepresented on this because, you know, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. And I often hear politicians saying that they have seven priorities, but how could you have seven priorities? You know, okay, look, I probably do that myself sometimes. Um, but I, I don't want to be misrepresented on this. What we need when it comes to housing is we need more social housing. Of course we do. And we're going to ramp up to more than 10,000 a year uh, when it comes to social housing. Um, we also need more places to rent um, because people need places to rent. And that includes cost rental as well as private rental. But the thing we need the most more of, if that makes sense, uh, is homes for people to buy. So last year, uh, we'd roughly 30,000 new homes built in the country. Um, not enough of them, in my view, are homes to buy. So as we increase the quantum above 30,000 towards 40,000, I'd like to see uh, a big increase in the numbers of homes um, that are available for people to purchase. Like most people actually buying their first home now are buying, are buying a second-hand home. Um, now that's fine, but I would like to see more first-time buyers buying new homes as well. And not enough of the new homes are being built um, to buy. That doesn't mean that I want fewer social homes built, and let me be very clear about that. So I suspect that will rile some of our listeners and perhaps some of the uh, other parties in the Dáil, maybe even some of the parties in coalition with, with Fine Gael right now, Pat, that emphasis, that heavy emphasis on on private home ownership. The Taoiseach was happy to own the economic success of the last decade, so he must to some degree own the failure on housing. And a lot of the criticism from the opposition parties has been that there has been too much reliance on the private sector and a failure for the state to, for the state to intervene. But I suppose... All of this really is of a part, isn't it? It's of a part of Fine Gael's positioning as the party which represents Middle Ireland, middle incomes and homeowners. Well, exactly. You know, who buys new houses other than Middle Ireland? I was quite struck by uh, by this. You know, and in a way, you can't argue with the teacher, we need more homes to buy, we need more social homes, we need more homes to rent, blah, 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 right? But he is he's quite careful. And he was saying there, you know, I don't want to be misquoted for this. I'm not saying we shouldn't build social housing. Uh, but he's saying that the most important thing for him, the priority for him is as the supply of housing increases, touch wood, that he wants to see a greater proportion of that being comprised of homes for people to buy, first time uh, buyers to buy. And that is, it seems to me, that is a pitch also to the people whose taxes he wants to cut and who he wants to vote for Fine Gael. And it's an instantly recognisable classical centre-right political party position. But what strikes me about it is it's that it places Fine Gael as the only party placing itself on that part of the political turf right now. Yeah, I think that's, um, I, uh, I think that's probably fair enough. I think that's probably a fair analysis and that 
you know, if this is what it, it, it looks to me like, I mean, we were all wrong, you know, but this is what it looks to me like. Um, I, I think it's a pretty clear pitch for a defined, a much more defined group of voters, much less catch-all and, and more targeted in both their, I suppose, policy provisions and in their political pitch. I should say you covered several other interesting subjects with Leo Varadkar over the course of the interview. And of course, our listeners can read them all on irishtimes.com or in the Irish Times printed weekend edition. Uh, But I mean, all of this really, Pat, is about setting the ground for next year, probably, and the next election. And you did ask Leo Varadkar about that. No later than March 2025. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I I haven't set a date and I don't, don't don't have a date in my mind. So the next... Will the date be agreed? With your partner, yeah, I, well, I, I would hope so. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't imagine a scenario where I'd wake up one morning and, uh, you know, bang off a message to Michal Martin, or Raymond Ryan, or ring them and tell them I'm off to, I'm off to see the president. Um, can't imagine uh, that situation arise. Not given the very good working relationship that we have, you know, we don't agree on everything, but we meet every Monday night and we sort things out. So, um, you know, I, I think it would be terribly disrespectful <laughs> to, 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 to not try to agree uh, a date. Um, but we actually haven't had any conversations like that at this stage. And um, the next the next elections that people, next national elections that we're going to see in Ireland uh, will be the local and European elections in June of next year. Could you see uh, a scenario where you try to persuade them to agree to go before that? Sorry, to go before... March 2025. We haven't had any conversations about the date no, of the no, election I mean, yet. Um, I mean, as a merely, you know, as a piece of speculation, could could you envisage nice, circumstances <laughs> in which not, you might do so? Nice try, Pat. Um, we haven't had that conversation yet. And if I ever have it, it'll be having it with them before um, anybody else. So, Pat, you didn't get a straight answer there, but when do you think the next election is going to be? Ha! Um... Uh, no, actually, I thought this bit was slightly unusual because what you would normally expect a Taoiseach to say is the government will run its full term. Well, of course, you know, we've a mandate from the people for five years, we'll serve five years and then we'll submit ourselves to the uh, judgment of the Irish people, blah, blah, blah. That's not what he said. He basically said, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reading this into it, but to me, to my ears, what he said was, we will either go in the autumn of 2024 or the spring of 20, uh, 2025. And I suppose what I was trying to get out of him there was, is this going to be a decision that, you know, ultimately you make? Because as Taoiseach, it is your right to make it. Or will this be a joint decision of the three parties that the other two essentially are one of? The other two would have a a veto over, but he just, he wasn't going there. So we don't know. Okay, don't rub it in. So perhaps not surprisingly, after what what will it be thirteen years or so in power, Finnegale are looking at consolidation rather than than growth in any significant way. Pat, but there are two big things about this conversation uh, that strike me. The first is that this, and I think you'll agree with me on this, somewhat more aggressive statement of Finnegale's position and differentiation, is that storing up serious trouble for the coalition parties in the run up to the next election, no matter when that is. I think potentially. Um, I mean, look, he is clearly. Every Taoiseach has two jobs. Taoiseach of the country, leader of his party. And those two jobs are sometimes sit uncomfortably side by side. Um, I think it's very clear that 
Leo Varadkar has been, this week anyway, operating as at least as much as the leader of Fine Gael as the leader of, uh, of, of the government. And that may well be a signal of how Fine Gael is going to approach and how he is going to approach the next two years. I think Micheál Martin very clearly had a, a different style, maybe more consensual style of uh, when he was in the Taoiseach's office. But then again, Micheál Martin's period in the Taoiseach's office ended with a civilised transfer of power and uh, a reshuffle. Leo Varadkar's period in the Taoiseach's office, in this term of office at least, will end very differently. It'll end in the white heat of a general election campaign. So how Leo Varadkar does Taoiseach is going to be, was always going to be different to how Micheál Martin does Taoiseach. But I think, I think if... Leo Varadkar does prioritise his party, I think it will make it difficult for it difficult to maintain the kind of unity and coherence of the government. That was always going to be difficult as you approach a general election. Uh, but if the if if the Taoiseach is uh, uh, approaching it with the interests of his party uppermost in his mind then uh, I, I think you could see some some rocky times ahead. I've always been of the view, and we've talked about it here before, that, that Micheál Martin's view of government, I think, was, was always that, you know, the government had to be a success for the individual parties to do well out of the election. Um, I think Leo Varadkar's view has been that when the voters come to pass judgment on this, uh, on this government, one of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will do well, the other will... Uh, the other will do badly. It was always going to be difficult for those two parties in particular. The Greens are a slightly different case, but it's always going to be very difficult for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to be partners in government and electoral rivals. And maybe we're beginning to see the start uh, of, of that now. I think we, we may be, and I think it will be a challenge for everybody in government. And very finally, just the last question, do you think this more aggressive positioning of the party, this stronger appeal to Middle Ireland, which, by the way, is a phrase I hate, the subject for another podcast. I'll bear that in mind. Um, do you think it'll work? Hmm. Yeah, that's the, I was going to say the $6 million question, but what is it? It's the $65 billion question. Look, uh, the answer to which you is, I, I just don't know. What I can say is that it, didn't it hasn't worked before but just cuz something hasn't worked in a different context doesn't necessarily mean it can't work um in the future uh but it is i think a course of action and a political direction and a political positioning that is fraught with danger for the government we leave it there for now. As I say, you can read Pat's full interview in the Irish Times and on irishtimes.com this weekend. Uh, that's it for today. Thanks very much to our producer Declan Condon and for additional production assistance by Katie Mellett. Uh, we're going to be back with you very soon indeed. But until then, thanks very much for listening.